Um, today we're going to uh, finish the series Sent. Um, I'm not sure whether it's spoken to you or not. Um, it strikes me that what we're doing when we're focusing on this, we're talking about a lot about the people who were sent, about the impact that Christ had on the people that were sent. We're actually not saying a great deal about Christ. Um, so it's implied that we know that. Uh, and this morning we're going to talk about uh, a church plant. We're going to call it uh, Grace Fellowship Antioch because the grace of God was in evidence there. So I'm just going to call it that. Um, that's, uh, that's, not, that's my own translation. Um, but coming back to that thing that I was saying there, there's so much we need to know more about God. And on our next series, uh, which you'll, we're, we're kicking off next week, um, everybody's looking at their phones now to see who's beeping the microphones. Um, my, my phone's off. Uh, next week, we're kicking off a new series, God Is, and we're looking at the truths about God. God is love. God is gracious. God is almighty. God is powerful. Um, and, and there's so many things that we need to understand again about God, because if we really know and understand these about God, it can't help but change us, surely. So today we're focusing on this new church plant called Grace Fellowship Antioch for the purposes of this morning. Uh, and we're going to look at, uh, it's kind of the first recorded church plant, uh, as I can see anyway in the Bible, or in, 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 in Acts anyway. And then after that we're going to look at the early church, uh, sort of look back, so what? We're going to ask that question. We, we, we've, we've been looking through Acts 1 to 11. I hope it's challenged you in the same way that it's challenged me and sort of say, so what for us? And it reminds me of the story, and I'm sure you've, well, you may have heard this before. You may have heard me telling it to you before about that church of ducks uh, uh, where the Reverend Donald was preaching one morning. And, and, and the ducks were all in there. You know, it's a kind of conservative church, a wee bit, of, wee bit of charismatics in there, and the ducks were there on one side, and then there's the kind of more, uh, you know, straight-laced ducks. And they were there, and, and the pastor, Donald, was preaching the message this morning. He said, I've got something really powerful to tell you this morning. He said, you have wings. Some of the charismatics started to flap their wings a wee bit. And, and he said, and those wings are for something. And they started to quack a wee bit. Those wings are made for flight. You can fly. Well, some of the charismatics couldn't help contain themselves and their wings were high in the air. One or two conservatives that threw one wing up in the air because they weren't too sure about it all. And a few had their wings down. And they were, they were kind of getting really excited. And the more Pastor Donald spoke, the more they got excited, the more the feathers were rattled. And... Um, and he said, and the flying is fantastic. You can go in the air. You can see the world from a totally different perspective. And the ducks were amazed and they were challenged. And as usual, at the end of the service, Pastor Donald went to the, the back door and the ducks came out and they shook his wing as, as they left the church and they all waddled home. So often I wonder, do we look at God's word and do we try to engage with it and say, so what for me? What is in this for me? How is this going to change? How am I going to fly for God as a result of that? Uh, because the word of God is powerful and active, and it's my prayer that as we turn to it this morning, we'll be challenged afresh. So Antioch is where this uh, church was uh, placed. Wait, you can see on the, on the top right-hand side the map. 
uh, in modern day Turkey now uh, was in Syria then. It's the third largest city in the world at the time. Capital, it was the capital city of the Roman province of Syria. Um, and it was famous for culture and commerce, but it was really a very dodgy place, a very seedy place. Religion and, and sexual immorality were all mixed in together. Uh, and some may say it was a very dark place. I've heard that said of the town in which we live. It's dark. I've heard that said before. And someone reminded me recently, do you know what darkness is? It's the absence of light. And so if somewhere is dark, by our own definition, and we are the light of the world, that's a challenge for each of us. Because there's nothing to fear in darkness for us if we are the light of the world. We have been commissioned to bring light to the world. And this is the place that became the most significant town outside Jerusalem in the early Christian church. This dark place became the sending church. The go team in Grace Fellowship Antioch sent Paul on his missionary journey. So this was a very significant place. So before we turn, if you want to have your Bibles open, you can turn it up to Acts chapter uh, 11. In a moment or two, and we'll, and we'll read a wee bit about uh, this new church plant from verse 19, Acts 11, verse 19. But before we do, just a wee bit of a recap. As we've come through here, we've gone through 11 chapters, are really quite exciting chapters, where first of all, you had these believers in Jerusalem, about 120 or so, behind closed doors, very worried, with the promise that power would come upon them and they would be God's witnesses. And then 3,000 came to faith at Pentecost, and then again and again, numbers multiplied, numbers increased to 5,000 men, which means probably over 10, maybe 12,000 people, uh, adding and multiplying all the time. And inevitably, then we saw that problems happened, because this was messy. And you started to get problems inside and outside the church. Inside, there was people starting, that's not fair, they're getting this and we're not getting that. And you started to get people complaining and grumbling. You started to get hypocrisy creeping in. And all of that was dealt with. And then the devil launched a swathe of persecution and the church was scattered. Unbeknown to anybody else, what happened in that was an absolute blessing and the church spread. Philip, one of the seven uh, in the uh, operational team that was set up in Grace Fellowship, Antioch, he went off and he, was, he, he started preaching in Samaria, Judea, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. He started preaching in Samaria and many were healed. These were a bunch Maybe the purest people in Jerusalem might have thought they're kind of half-breed Jews. They're not real Jews, these sort of Samaritan people. And so they came to faith. And Peter and John went. They were dispatched, and they, and they, and they gave thanks, and they prayed for them. And then Philip was dispatched to Gaza by an angel. And he headed down south, way on down towards Gaza. And on his way, he came across this really important Ethiopian guy who was possibly the second most important person in that kingdom. He came to faith as a result of God's prompting. And then the persecutor saw he came to faith in this road to Damascus. And then all of a sudden this, this, this centurion, Cornelius, not even a Samaritan, not even a Jew, he came to faith. What was happening? And I would have thought that in Jerusalem, a lot of the disciples were getting really excited. This is coming true. It's actually happening. God is actually changing people's lives. What must they have thought as they reflected on Acts 
chapter 1, verse 8, when God said, when Jesus said to them, you will receive power and you'll be my witnesses. So let's read Acts uh, chapter uh, uh, 11 and if we just go on to the next slide and we'll pick it up from verse 19. Actually, if you move on to the next one again then, Connor, please. Thanks. This is just a wee bit of a map that I stole off the internet that gives some of the places that we're talking about here this morning. So we're just going to read through a few verses and we'll talk through them as, as we go and then we'll sort of work out so, so what at the end of all that. So Acts chapter 11 verses 19 and 20 we'll start with as I try to get my glasses on. Now if you remember there was this, this came... This is jumping back. If you remember, in chapter eight, there was the, there was the, the, the uh, Stephen had been uh, martyred, and then there was there was persecution had broken out, and the, the disciples were scattered. So, verse nineteen. Now, those who had been scattered by the persecution in connection with Stephen travelled as far as Phoenicia. You can see that on the map there, Cyprus and Antioch, telling the message only to Jews. Some of them, however, men from Cyprus. And Cyrene went to Antioch and began to speak to Greeks or Gentiles also, telling them the good news about the Lord Jesus. Initially, some of them were speaking only to Jews. And maybe they were a bit unsettled about people talking to the other side. This is a message that's kind of easy for us to talk to our own type, but I'm not too sure about these Gentiles. And now, all of a sudden, these people, these blooming Cyprus ones and Cyrene ones, they're, they're, they're starting to tell it to the Gentiles. Some may have been annoyed, surely not the Gentiles, but certainly Peter had laid the foundation and the apostles were confident that, that, that the message was going beyond to the rest of the world. Make disciples of all nations, Jesus said. So verse 21 then, the Lord's hand was with them and a great number of people believed and turned to the Lord. The same pattern again was happening in this church plant up in Antioch. Loads of people were coming to faith. What on earth was happening? It was the same DNA that was happening down in Jerusalem. What was happening? Were they thinking in Jerusalem? What's happening here in Antioch? And I ask the question, if it's the same God and the same promise and the same Holy Spirit, and nothing has changed. Why is what was happening there not happening here? I'm challenged by that, and we'll talk about that in a wee minute or two. But let's look at verse 22. News of this reached the ears of the church at Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas. They sent Barnabas to Antioch. Barnabas, who better to send. Barnabas was a great guy. I would have liked to have known Barnabas. Barnabas was known as the, anybody? Encourager. Encourager. The first time we come across Barnabas, he had got some money. It was kind of his pension plan. He sold his field and he led the apostles' feet because he said, look, there's people who need money, so off you go and give that to other people. He was known as the son of encouragement. That was the nickname he was given by them. And then later on we discover when Saul came to faith and Saul was kind of the persecutor and he came to Jerusalem, all the believers were gathered together and they were a bit worried about Saul because this, this is a terrorist uh, who, 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 was, who was breathing out murderous threats. There's no way we're going to let him in these doors. 
Who was it that introduced Saul? Barnabas brought him with his arm around him. He said, look, this guy's a good guy. He has come to faith. I've heard him preach. You have nothing to worry. We really need Barnabases. I don't know if you know any Barnabases. I do, and they've been really influential in my life. The Barnabases are the people who are on your side. They're the ones who are saying, go on there. I'm with you. They're the ones that sharpen the iron. They're the ones that want to encourage you. They're the ones that actually, when the room is filled with critical spirit, they're the ones that change that. My encouragement to you is if you know a Barnabas in your life, tell them today, send them a wee text, say, hey, thanks for being a Barnabas for me. Barnabas was a really significant guy in the early church, and yet he wasn't the guy that, 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 that wrote to the Corinthians. He wasn't the guy that wrote to the Galatians. He wasn't the guy that wrote to the Ephesians, but he was the guy that enabled all that. He was known as the son of encouragement. So what better a guy to send up to these bunch of Gentiles up here than Barnabas? He was a guy who was originally from Cyprus. He kind of knew their language. He was used to talking, meeting with them, and he was a guy of grace. We say in our church that membership is not about entitlement. It's about service. Barnabas, I believe, would have said amen to that. And so, verse 23. When he arrived, he saw evidence of the grace of God, and he was glad and encouraged them to remain true to the Lord with all of their hearts. He saw the grace of God. What does that look like, the grace of God? He saw evidence of the grace of God. If you come to a town and you're just new to it and you start looking at different churches and you find in one church evidence of the grace of God or you come across someone and you say, I have seen in that person evidence of the grace of God. What is that? I was thinking about that. And for me, when I think of people where I see evidence of the grace of God, I'm not going to name them. There's some in here. There are loads in here, I hope. But, and there's some people... Uh, friends of mine, and I was thinking, what is that evidence? And it's the fruit of the Spirit, but I see in them joy. I see in them faithfulness, a passion for God, a love for others, humility. And uh, if we go to our values, these are values that we hold dear in this fellowship. We depend on God. We're a community of grace. We reach out in love. We are committed to each other. I absolutely believe that if that typifies us there is evidence of the grace of God in here some of those are a bit aspirational but I hope that much of that is what we see and treasure and long for more he saw evidence of the grace of God and he was glad if we go to the next slide then Connor Barnabas then, we're told, encouraged them all to remain true to the Lord with all of their hearts. The New King James says this, he encouraged them that with purpose of heart they should continue with the Lord. The Bible speaks of the heart and the mind often. And I think this is a really important thing. It's possible to have a head knowledge of what's in here, but not a heart knowledge. Romans 10, 10, for it's with your heart that you believe and are justified. In the Bible, the brain is the center of thinking, but the heart is the center of affection, emotion, personality. It's the spiritual part of us. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. 
Lean not on your own understanding, Proverbs 3, 5. Psalm 139, which we read this morning a bit. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Jesus said, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. David was a man after God's own heart. I don't know how... I haven't worked out the, the wording of how young people date nowadays, but it's so different from my day. You kind of went out with someone or you didn't. Now there's all these stages. You're kind of connected. You're kind of in a relationship. You're kind of uh, stepping. I don't know what it is. I, I've given up on it. But stepping out? No, maybe that's, that's, that was maybe more. That's our day. <laughs> I was stepping out with someone. Shook her hand. Good night. I was stepping out with Bethel some years ago. And all was going well, or so I thought. And I thought, this is a keeper here. And I, I was very cerebral in this, and I was thinking, and I thought, I've got to be honest with this, with this uh, young treasure. And I've got to say, anytime she asks me something, I want to really be honest with her. And I, I had no idea about relationships. Seriously, I'm still learning. And I remember thinking, yeah, this must be serious. I'm getting to see this girl about once a week. It really is starting to get serious. Um, <laughs> you think I'm joking, but that's actually true. I was going, yeah, yeah, yeah. And one night, we, Bethel and I were talking, and uh, Bethel said to me, where's this going? And the male brain part of mine was thinking, where's this going? Be honest with her. Hmm. Um, Do you ever see that Inside Out movie? Something was going on. Well, not very much was going on in there. Uh, panic. It's just one of those questions that a girl says something but means something else. <laughs> and I said, I, I don't know. I don't know. What's going on? I'm being honest with you, I don't know. I don't know. Because my brain didn't know. I had pros and cons, you know, this and whatever. I don't know. So I, I just was honest and I said, I, I don't know. And Bethel said to me something like this. Um, well, if you don't know where we're going, maybe we should... Maybe we should part ways then, if you don't know. Maybe we should stop. And I said, uh, again, inside the brain, I was going. <laughs> <laughs> and I said, uh, okay. Uh, uh, and, and I remember walking up to the car that night in a bit of a daze, the brain going, what, what, what just happened there? Did we have a fight? Was there an argument? But, but somehow I'm not stepping out anymore. <laughs> anyway, I drove home, and that night I didn't sleep at all. And something changed deep inside me. I'm not going to get any more personal than this. But I woke up the next morning. I didn't wake up the next morning. I never went to sleep. And I, and I, and I thought, well... It's four o'clock. It must be. There's a time yet to ring her. And I remember it was Sunday the next morning, and I, and I said to mum and dad, look, I can't go to church this morning. I can't explain why it is, but I can't go to church this morning. And, uh, um, and then I rang Bethel that afternoon. I said, look, Bethel, uh, I've, we've got to get out. Uh, tomorrow night, I want to take you out for a meal. And uh, all the stuff, whatever happened on last night, I just, I just want to uh, uh, just say to you, yeah, yes, I do know where we're going. Because something changed. And it was a heart issue for me. It wasn't a head issue. It was an emotional issue for me. It was, a, it was a, something deep within my spirit and soul. Um, 
having been chucked for 24 hours, my, my, my heart woke up, if you like. I was brought to my senses by my heart. When the Bible talks about the heart, it's not talking about some um, random emotion, um, which, is, which is kind of just meaningless. It's based on fact. But Jesus talked about the Pharisees honoring them with their lips, honoring him with their lips, but their hearts are far from me, he quoted from Isaiah. God wants our hearts first and foremost. Not purely some intellectual understanding. Do you remember James McCune was talking about Paul who went from religion to relationship? This is not being about being led by our emotions. There is truth but God wants our hearts and minds because the heart is deceitful above all things, the Bible says. So we need the truth of God's word to keep us right. But the greatest commandment is this, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength and mind. And look, if you're struggling with some of the intellectual stuff, some of the academic stuff, and if you're struggling with some of the doubts, this is what God says in Jeremiah twenty nine thirteen. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. He wants not just our intellect. He wants our heart. He wants our passion for him. He wants us to open ourselves to him that we will know him. Verse 24. He was a good man. We're talking about Barnabas. Full of the Holy Spirit and faith. And a great number of people were brought to the Lord. The same pattern again. Great number of people brought to the Lord. Now Barnabas could have rested at that and thought, well, I'm in charge here. I'm, I'm, I'm the pastor of quite a large growing church plant. Pretty successful. But he didn't. Verse 25 says this. Then Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul. And when he found him, he brought him to Antioch. So for a whole year, Barnabas and Saul met with the church and taught great numbers of people. The disciples were called Christians first at Antioch. Loads of people coming to faith. Saul had come to faith about seven years prior to this. And there he was in relative obscurity preaching, having not been anything about what was going on in Jerusalem. And Barnabas thought, I know the guy to help us here. And he sought out and he had to look high and low for him. Um, and he found Saul. Barnabas showed humility. And you know what happened? There was one year, it says, of teaching that Paul and Barnabas did with this church. It wasn't, oh, they've come to faith. Good, let's move on. They matured. There was this pattern in verse 20. They were told the good news. They came to faith. Then Barnabas came in verse 23 and encouraged them. And then they were taught and they were brought to maturity. Well, they were brought to some degree of maturity in verse 26. And then we pick it up at verse 27. During this time, some prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch. One of them named Agabus stood up through the spirit and predicted that a severe famine would spread throughout the entire Roman world. This happened during the reign of Claudius. The disciples, each of them, according to his ability, decided to provide help for the brothers living in Judea. They did This they did, sending their gift to the elders by Barnabas and Saul. The same DNA, the same generosity, just like the mother church in Jerusalem. They each gave according to their own ability. This church plant in Antioch, had the same characteristics as the church in Jerusalem. Something vibrant was happening and they were extraordinarily generous. So what is my next question then? 
Thanks, Connor. Jerusalem Fellowship and Grace Fellowship, Antioch. Something was happening. Something was happening there. 3,000 souls were added. The Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. More and more men and women believed in the Lord and were added to their number. The number of disciples multiplied greatly. Then you had the Ethiopian eunuch who came to be baptized. Saul who was baptized. Cornelius and his house who came to faith and were baptized. The church, we're told, was living in the fear of the Lord and encouraged by the Holy Spirit, increased in numbers. The word of God continued to spread and flourish. Great multitudes of both Jews and Gentiles believed. This was a church with impact. And I ask the question, as I'm doing a wee bit of study around churches in the West at the minute, just a wee bit, and is that the pattern of church today? There's a guy called John Drain who's a theologian and a Church of Scotland minister, very tuned in to new expressions of church, passionate about mission. And this is what he said. He's, he's probably a guy in his 80s or close to it. In my lifetime, the church has gone from being a vibrant community in the center of civic life to being largely the preserve of older people in the margins. That's what his expression is. I don't know how I would describe uh, the church in Northern Ireland or the church in Balnehinch. But here's the thing. We have a choice, I believe, whether we want to be a church with impact or a church in a safe bubble that ticks all the boxes. There's something comfortable about being in a bubble, about, about, about doing all the right things, about not getting too messy. I think the church in the West could generally be discussed the, 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 um, described as being a little bit in a bubble, with a lot of exceptions, perhaps. Grace Fellowship Antioch, Jerusalem Fellowship, they, had, they were a church with impact. And I suppose the classic question that people ask, and it's a good question, what difference would it make to Balna Hinch if we weren't here? What's the difference because we exist? Have we look at this advert here? I'd like to thank Mike for letting us um, <laughs> take a photograph of, of his mate. Um, <laughs> when, you see, when you see this advert and this guy's drinking a protein shake, what is it that you think to yourself? Careful. <laughs> Here's what I think. I'll have whatever he's having. Isn't that right? You don't use a wee weed to advertise protein shakes. You see, there's something happening there. I want whatever he is having. And when I see this message, don't worry, that distraction will soon be removed from your screens. But when I see this message in Acts and I see a church with impact with the same God, with the same message of salvation, the same Holy Spirit, the same promise of power, I ask that question. I want whatever they're having. So what characterized the early church? What set them ablaze? Because it's the same God who enables and draws people and it's all about him. But how do we position ourselves as a church to receive this Holy Spirit, to have that impact. What would it look like, as Grant reminded us a few weeks ago, to reclaim the heritage of the promised Holy Spirit? 
<clears throat> These are just a few random thoughts. It's not meant to be a, a formula that we apply. But here's a few things about the characteristics of the church that maybe help them position themselves to receive God's promises. The first one was a commitment to maturity. Jesus invested three years in his disciples' lives. And then after the resurrection, he spent 40 days talking to them about the kingdom of God. In Acts 2, uh, you read it in about Acts 2, 42, it talks about the disciples were devoted to the apostles' teaching. And in Acts 11, we see that Paul and Barnabas taught for a year, maturing this church. I absolutely passionately believe in being part of a church that releases people to change the world not sucks them in to ministry for the sake of it for the sake of doing church but i ask myself the question am i committed to this fellowship to each other to prioritizing dependency upon god this is what john abraham said a few weeks ago the journey of the holy spirit is what you want it to be God's desire is to move us from where we are to where he wants us to be. We need to be praying for each other, exhorting each other, teaching each other. We have got all sorts of opportunities. We meet together here. We meet together in small groups. We meet together before the service for prayer. We meet together in home groups. We meet together in corporate prayer. These are not designed to suck you in. They're designed as opportunities to say, how can I help each other grow to mature, to be more like Christ? And I ask the question, because I get really tired of meetings. I hate being in a meeting that, that, that is useless. I'm sure you find yourselves in those situations and you think, oh, oh, I could be out of here. What, oh, what are you speaking for again, for dear sake? And I'm probably that person that does most of the speaking half the time. But I ask myself this question, do I... Do I make use of opportunities with my fellow brothers and sisters to, to encourage, to mature, to spur on? I'm not talking about doing church, but do I deprioritize kingdom stuff over my life? Do I think, well, my life's important and, and you know, I'll fit God into that, that whatever's left over? Or do I say, no, 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 this is really critical? Because some of the decisions I make today, I was thinking about this, both financially and in time. Some of the decisions I make today will impact my life in the next two or three years. So in two or three years' time, I can go, I actually don't have the money for that. I actually don't have time for that. And that's true. But that's not because I'm a victim. It's because I've made that choice. And I ask myself the question, how much priority do I put in the kingdom of God? I heard a story uh, uh, once of an elder talking to a very gracious bunch of leaders and they said to them, look guys, I, I, I unfortunately work commitments are, are, are getting too much for me and I'm going to have to you know, step down from the role of eldership. And a lot of them said, yeah, that's absolutely fine. I totally understand, totally understand. But is it? Is it okay? We sort of have these priorities in our minds and it might be, because it might be that that is God's will for him to be the best ever person in that field to change the world. But it might be something else. I don't know. But at least I have to ask that question. C.S. Lewis says this, as, or said this, as Christians, we're not called to think less of ourselves, but to think, sorry, we're not called to think less of ourselves, but to think of ourselves less. 
This was a church that was committed to maturity. Secondly, it was a church that had a spirit of generosity. They sold property and possessions to anyone who had need. All the believers shared everything. Those who owned land and houses sold them, we're told, and put the money at the apostles' feet. The disciples, as each one was able, we read in Antioch, it said, as each one was able, decided to provide help for the brothers and sisters. At the AGM this week, a new budget was passed graciously by the membership here, which has got a massive increase in our spend in mission. We're committed to more kingdom of God here in our community and beyond. The Edge, Cap, Hub, as well as supporting those abroad too. Our single biggest cost now is mission, and I think that's great. Because I remember talking to a friend in one of my previous employments, and he said to me, I used to work for one of those good living guys that you call yourself. And he said he ran a petrol station when I was a student. And every time the budget came around, he would tell me, don't change the signs on the outside, but make sure you put the signs up, on the, make sure you change the price on the, on the pumps. And all these people were coming in after six o'clock thinking, I've actually got this. I've got a cheap, cheap petrol. But in actual fact, he was being skinned. I think that's a terrible travesty. And it's not the people that I see the grace of God in that I see that. That's not hopefully typical of those who say they own the name Christ. That's not the Barnabases of this world because Jesus taught us priority for the poor, uh, that, that, that that should be evidence of the grace of God. We should be characterized by ridiculous generosity. And I see that in many people and it really encourages me and brings joy to my heart as I see generosity. So that's the second thing. Unquestionably, these people had it. And you might think, ah, oh, that was then, that was then. But was it? I mean, was that heart of generosity something that was for them? Maybe culturally or things were different then, absolutely. But that heart of generosity, I absolutely believe, was a mark of that church. The third thing, we're nearly there, is that they had an outward focus. Those who'd been scattered preached the word wherever they went, and the word of the Lord was being spread throughout the region. I'm just quoting verses out of Acts. And then the angel, after the apostles' release from prison, when, when they were miraculously released, he didn't go, go tell them about your release from prison. He said, go and tell the people about this new life. Last week, Scott McNamara, got his name right this time, um, spoke to us about the importance of not just looking for the reaping of the harvest, but the sowing of of the seed, and I think that was really, really important. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have, 1 Peter 3 says. Remember when Charlie was speaking to us about the testimony of Peter and John, and he talked about the importance of authenticity, that we don't have to have it all sussed, but he said this, what we bring to this mission is ourselves as we are, what we've become as a result of transforming encounters with Jesus. We have to be able to share the hope that we have. We have to look for God opportunities. I heard this joke the other day, and I thought it illustrates this well, about Paddy was looking for a place in a supermarket queue. He was, he was trying to park the car because he'd forgotten to get his wife a birthday present. And he couldn't get a place and he was driving around the car park and there was no place uh, for him to, to, to find a parking space. So he, he just said a quick prayer and he says, Lord, if you can miraculously provide a parking space for me, 
I will give up the drink and I'll go to church every Sunday for a year. And just as he said, Amen, this woman pulled out of a parking space. I don't know why it was a woman, actually. Because uh, she was generous. And she pulled out of a parking space and waved to him. And he then turned to God and he says, It's all right, Lord, I've just found one. <laughs> and I thought, it's not just so like us some days that there's many God opportunities that we don't look out for, that we put down to our own stuff. Are we looking for those God moments? As I was looking into uh, one of the courses that Christians Against Poverty run called Life Skills Course, which is about helping people have confidence and skills to survive on low income, it was really inspirational to see about the folk who were inspired or transformed from being stressed and without hope to having an inner peace is what they testified to. But here's what one of the coordinators said. It's a wonderful way to make your faith real, to make the difference. Antioch Fellowship had an outward focus. The Global Outreach Day was not something they needed because it was every day. And they were sowing the seed. I want to do a quick experiment here. And it's a dangerous one, but I'm going to do it. Don't worry, it's not really going to make you feel awkward as a Northern Ireland bunch of people like I would feel awkward. Um, I want you to stand for literally one second and then you can sit down again, okay? And it's, uh, I want you to stand if you've had experience of one of the following. Edge on the streets on a Saturday morning, if you've been any one of those, any time from last September to now. Edge event over this Easter. The edge drop-in uh, for the young people. Woman on the edge. The Christians Against Poverty, Hub, or the Food Bank, or any other organizations that work in Balna Hinch in a voluntary capacity, uh, such as the Beesum or, or Homestart or whatever. Just very quickly, just stand up for one second, if you don't mind. One, two, three. Off we go. Okay, make it four seconds. Ha ha. Okay, have a seat again. I think that's really encouraging. Now, the people who didn't stand up, I'm not saying, hey, look at them, come on, get yourself sorted out. Because you could be Judea, you could be Samaria for all I know. I'm just talking about our own locality and looking at what's happening in our own locality. I believe God's calling us to more. Some can't, and that's absolutely fine because you're actually changing the world and the workplace that you are meant to be. And you are bringing salt and light to where you are, and that's brilliant. But some maybe can, and I believe God's calling us to more. So the third thing was an outward focus. And finally, and we're really finishing now, the last one was this. They had a culture of risk. After their imprisonment, they said this. This is how the believers prayed. Now, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. And when the apostles left the Sanhedrin, they rejoiced because they'd been counted worthy of suffering and disgrace in Christ's name. They had come alive in their faith. And Connor, just next slide there, please. So my question for us here in this fellowship is, what type of church do we want to be? Do we want to be a church with impact or do we want to be a church which is in a bubble? I believe God called us, Jesus calls us to live life and life to the full. He wants us to be sold out for God. I was watching a documentary on Channel 4 recently there about... Uh, I don't know, it was rewriting people who hadn't seen each other in years. And it was this, there was this film crew that went to Moldova or Romania. I can't remember. Did anybody see it? And there was a guy who was a, a production guy. And, and, and a, it was just a regular Channel 4 program on national TV. 
And the, uh, it was a guy from Northern Ireland, and he was, uh, uh, and I mean this in the kindest way, a very simple man in, in the fact that he wasn't complicated, who brought passion to this whole ministry of serving people in this orphanage. It was Romania, I think. And then there was this guy, Channel 4, and he, they asked him, as he was going back 30 years later, and he said, I came to this project as an atheist, as somebody who was an up-and-coming producer in Channel 4, uh, somebody who was respected and an intellectual or whatever it was, and he said, and do you know what I am now? I'm sold out for Jesus Christ. He said that in Channel 4. Why? Because he saw and got involved in where Jesus was, in the margins, in the places where people needed to be released. Jesus calls us to life in all its fullness. I absolutely believe that. And I believe that if you're like me and you're kind of wanting a bit more, maybe we're finding that through God as we mature in him, but we find it on the margins as we serve and we find it in the people we're serving. And I believe God's calling us as a church to more. I really do. Not to be in a bubble, but to be a church with impact. And my prayer is that we uh, respond to that. Thanks. Jillian.